0: Benny and the Heartbreakers. Well, I guess the the end of that, of that song definitely uh, resonates with that. Um, well, it's been so good getting to see some new faces this week who haven't been able to be with us yet. Um, if I haven't gotten a chance to talk to you, please don't run out right after until I can speak with you. If I haven't seen you since, uh, since the shutdown, I'd uh, love, love to just take a moment to... Uh, to connect with each of you. Um, Obviously, you know, you don't have uh, handout notes. We're gonna have slides up on the screen for tonight. Uh, You can take notes on your phone. You know, I don't know how many of y'all are note takers, but you should be. Uh, Pull out your Bible, pull out your phone uh, for tonight. But we're gonna actually start with something a little different. We're gonna start with a dance-off competition. All right, so who's in on this? Actually, everybody's gonna participate with your applause because we're going to see uh, a dance-off take place between Hunter Zerang and Jack Collins up on the screen. Uh, So please direct your attention up here. Hold your applause to the end, and, and, and we'll take your vote by way of noise as who do you think did it better? Check it out. applause for for Jack Collins. And uh, how's about Hunter Zerang and his remix? All right. Well, uh, obviously that was the uh, the next instance of deepfake uh, hitting our culture known as the Sway app where you... uh, Film yourself moving around, doing basically the stuff that Hunter did in the first video, and then you can plug and play and pick any dance uh, that you want, and your face and your body will get stuck on it. Uh, For some people, it works better than for for others. Um, But, you know, it's just another example in the world around us, in culture, in technology, that often things are not quite what they seem at first. Uh, and we are returning to our, our study of 1 Samuel called Appearances. And I know it's hard to remember anything that took place uh, before uh, the shutdown, but we, we've spent a little time here, and then obviously the Lord was leading us in the strange days we were in. Uh, but I'm excited to, to jump back into this book, it is filled with insight. Uh, and relevance uh, from 3,000 uh, 3, years ago uh, right up into where we live, and even in the current moment that we find ourselves in, in the culture. And so, uh, so far we have seen a few different things. We, we've seen that things are not as they seem, chapters 1 through 3, and then that God is not like you think. All this is on the LCC Youth Podcast if you need to catch up in chapters 4 through 6. And then tonight we don't know what we want. We don't know what we want. But I'm going to start by introducing you to a certain person that many of you have probably already met. Maybe you've come into contact with her in real life, or, or maybe you've just seen her streaming across your screen as, as you've uh, strolled through social media. Uh, her name, of course, is Karen, and she wants to talk with the manager. She demands uh to see who's in charge and make sure that you will fix her coffee order or repair whatever she feels is messed up with your product now there are some issues with the karen meme uh, you know it's not without its problems but for the most part it's pretty funny uh if, if you're uh, wanting a little breakdown as to how to be a karen if you want some tips and tricks you've got that laid out for you here k know your rights a accuse everyone r request a manager E, escalate to authorities, and N, neglect reason. And we're going to see here in 1 Samuel that, that Israel makes a demand here. They want to speak to the authorities. They, In fact, they want a new manager. And we get to watch as it unfolds. This is the insight that the Bible provides. We get to observe. And and this is a time when the, when the cameras are always rolling, which is why we see Karen show up, right? You know, their Instagram handles titled, uh, Karen's Going Wild. <laughs> and, uh, you know, despite the fact that they know somebody is filming this right now, they are still going to act that obnoxious. But, but it's a time when, when certain actions get exposed. And so couple of weeks ago now, you know, a lot, a lot of the eyes of the world were observing as a white woman in Central Park was calling the police on a bird-watching black man because he asked her to leash her dog, and basically she used 911 as her customer service line, not really caring about what kind of impact that would have on his life, but that kind of attitude and that kind of response is getting exposed today, and that, that's had fallout in her own life, Personally, you know, our culture is unforgiving uh, to that kind of attitude. Uh, but we're going to see that in Scripture. We are the ones that are often exposed. God reveals ourselves back to us. And it's not a pretty sight, what we discover there. Delrath Davis says this, The Bible reveals not only God, but us. That is the function of 1 Samuel 8. It is Yahweh's analysis of his people, of Israel, and of us. And there's how we look on the outside, and then there's God who sees the heart, who sees what we're after, what we think that we are owed, what we are desperate to have even if we mistreat others in the process of trying to get it. And, and listen, I, I know there is so much global noise going on around us right now. And different ones of us are in different levels of awareness of that, of paying attention to that. And, and I want to speak to that. Our passage does as well. It's hard to look away from it. And so much of it matters. But if, if you can go here with me, you know, a few weeks from now, it's likely that there are personalized conflicts inside of you that will be some of the most significant factors as to whether or not you're content, whether or not you're able to get along with the the people in your life. And those are the things that you will take with you for the rest of your life. And God helps us to know them and to deal with them. All right, so let's read chapter 8. Verse 1, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. I hope I haven't lost you yet with the names. Just keep working. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Right? There's a lot of reality, a lot of current reality to this this setting that is here. Right? There is a real need for justice that these people are experiencing. They, they, they are under the oppression of bad leadership. And, and when life feels threatening or unfair, right, we, we become restless and we grasp at stuff to change. It's a human response when we are facing suffering. And, and, and that's their response here, right? This old system needs to be shut down. It needs to go. We need new leadership here, Samuel, and a particular kind of it. Last night in the city of New Orleans, I went to one of the the protests and the rallies that was taking place. So I wanted to be there to listen, to observe, to be there as a a white person, um, standing with uh, our black brothers and sisters who have suffered and to hear their stories. And there, there were heartbreaking stories that were shared there. But, you know, one of, the, one of the posters that was being held up said this, that this is a war on authority. And I understand what's giving rise to that. But I hope you have some convictions in you to recognize that authority is God's idea. Authority exists in this world by his purposes, and with his design. Now, authority can be abused. There are ways that authority can be replaced. But we are a people who are under authority. And that's his intention. It's his idea. And and, and you might come to a place in in your own life, right? Your experience might not be like some of the ones that are hitting the headlines, and I hope we're aware of that as well. But at some point... You're going to get restless and you're going to feel offended and you're going to feel constricted and, and you feel like the people in charge in your life need to be replaced. And that's a reaction that we see in God's people here. They, they want the line of Samuel to be canceled. But the problem is that it's, it's ultimately not Samuel that they are seeking to overthrow. Look at what he says in verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now, what do we need to be paying attention to in this God revealed event 3,000 years ago? So distant and yet so near in our experience. Well, well, three things that we're going to be paying attention to. And the first is that Israel is seeking to keep up appearances, right? Authority is God's idea, and, and, and it was always God's plan for Israel to have a king. So what's the problem, right? What, what are they doing here that's so wrong to come and request this? Well, the issue isn't what they're asking for, but why they want it, why they feel so desperately that they need it. It is the motive of their demand. Remember, God doesn't look at the outward appearances. He sees the heart. It's the central message of First Samuel. And they say this in verse 5. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Right? They want to look like everybody else with their outward, visible, impressive leadership and power. And the king is not just to replace Samuel, but ultimately to replace God on the throne of their hearts. Their lack of a visible ruler is an embarrassment to them. And and what God indicts them with is that this is the consistent story again and again of his people not finding him to be enough. Enough despite how gracious he's been to them, how merciful he has been, how he has called them out by name and given them a new identity, once again, they find it easy to turn away and want a substitute. Your image is everything. If, if it was everything in their day, uh, exponentially so, in the world that we live in today. We're just such an image-driven culture, and it's represented in our clothing, in our brands and the loyalties that we have to certain products, right? In this status updates, right? You 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 look on people either physically or based on their feed or based on their associations and, and you kind of immediately decide, do we have something in common? Is this somebody that I'm gonna respect? Am I gonna consider to you you to be cool, a respected voice or not? Am I gonna be am I gonna be shunning you and dismissing you? All that's based in image. Image has such persuasive power over how we feel about things, over how we feel about the issues that are in the world, the issues that are in our nation this week, right? You, you have different streams of images. I, I'm, I'm on a few different social media platforms, and, I, and, I, and I see I see different versions of it kind of scroll across my feed based on what people are reposting or who they subscribe to. We, we look to these things to inform us as to how to understand life and who we want to be associated with and who we want representing us. And that was in Israel as well. Leslie Newbegin says, we are by nature idolaters constructing images of truth shaped by our own desires. And, and so often it's not, the, it's not the truth, but what's in the meme that we can find resonating with us. And, and, and our own image is something that we're always paying attention to and managing. How we are seen and who we are seen with comes to define us. And it's a day when everybody seems to be doing this, right, it, 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 the, the, the plague of wanting to appear on the right side of things, right, that, that, that's always existed, but it's, 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 it's got this new current in the, in the real-time updates that exist. And, you know, a, a humorous and sad example of this, maybe you, you came across this video of, of a girl who had gone out, um, I, I'm not sure what, what city that she was in, but um, she took a picture uh, of herself uh, with a drill kind of helping board up a, a, a storefront and make repairs to a particular building. And so there's an image that she posts, but somebody caught on video, her walking up to the scene, borrowing somebody's drill, her boyfriend taking her picture, her waving, getting back in the car and driving off after having done zero work, right? The, the faux-op moment has become everything, for us. But the problem is we can see what's messed up with this, but our world doesn't have the capacity to, to critique the selfie culture that has produced it, right? There are cultural press pressures to, to signal certain things that in, in, in some ways those can help us, those can introduce to us Categories that we haven't fought in and raise questions for us. But it, they can also wear thin other commitments. And we can trade substance for image. All right, so I, I know s- several of you aren't social media people. And more power to you for it. <laughs> um, but if, you know, if, if you did or did not yesterday post something for Blackout Tuesday... right, and and I think posting uh, can be a meaningful step. Um, It can can communicate something that matters, it can be one step in a process of other steps that should be significant to work toward racial reconciliation and showing love to our neighbors. And there could be reasons that you're not posting and and finding other ways to pursue that in in real life, (laughs) right? So I, I wouldn't criticize or not criticize whatever decision you made in that. But here's the question, How'd you think through that? Why did you do what you did? And you might find that it, it, it's based on okay, let me sit back and figure out what are my friends gonna do? And if I see enough of them do this, then I'll do that. If I see enough of them in my particular audience not do that, then I'm just not, I don't think, I don't think I'm gonna do that today, right? And, and, and I don't wanna be overly critical of, of, of either one of those but, but listen, there are categories that Our culture is noisy about it, and it's going to move on to the next thing. Are we getting our convictions from the Bible or from how we want to look to those around us? Because it's not going to be long before the the next trending thing is something that God has spoken to, that God has revealed his purpose and intentions about and, and and you might be feeling the temptation to align yourself with something that is outside of his will. This is helpful. This is helpful to see how it works in the ancient world and how it happens today. Are you content with being different for the sake of God? Here's how Dale Roth Davis puts this. He says, By our aversion to holiness, I simply mean that we do not like to be different for God's sake. Sometimes people like to be different for their own sake because that's another way of getting eyes and making them feel significant because I'm an outlier. Or do you want to be different for God's sake? We do not like to be distinct. We would rather blend. So with Israel. But listen, they, they wanted to blend in uh, in the Iron Age where you had this kind of strong imperialistic leader. Y'all find that that's not really popular today, is it, anymore? Right? And it just shows that trends and what the values of the surrounding world applaud change. And they change at a faster pace now than ever. And if if you're so caught up with making sure that you're, you're not too odd in this world, you're either gonna leave this world behind or you will leave God behind in the process. That's what God wants to help Israel see here. All right, second thing, second insight that we are given here is to be careful what you wish for. Right, that, that's, a, that's a phrase that has existed for a long time. It's a warning that, that goes at least as far back as Aesop's fables in 600 BC. Right, Be careful what you wish for lest it come true. And there, there's a, a story that, that's told about a, an older man who was carrying this load of wood on his back. And uh, he just comes to a point of exhaustion and says, Death, just come and take me. I'm done with this. And maybe some of y'all have said that. I just can't, you know, just can't anymore. Just take me. Uh, and death shows up. And he has a face-to-face encounter with uh, death. And death says, I'm here. What do you want now? And the man says, um, could you help me get this stack of logs back on my back so I can keep going, right? A uh, sudden realization that what he had asked for was not really what he wanted. And Samuel tells a similar parable here, and and we'll see it in a moment. He just goes through. This is what's going to happen when this shows up in your life. The thing that you feel you need so much right now, it's not going to bring what you hoped. But his word isn't heard. So verse 19 says, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, But there shall be a king over us. There must be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Right? We need this. Everybody else has this. Right? Where have you used that phrase? Everybody else has it. Right? Where does that show up as some kind of not so convincing argument that you bring To your parents, you're trying to persuade them as to why you should be able to purchase something, be allowed to do something, be able to go somewhere, be a part of something. Where do you feel that showing up in life? What do you put pressure on your parents or on other people trying to get the whole world to cooperate with what you're after? What do you feel like you need? in order for life right now to be okay, to be in a good place, to be fun, to be successful, to matter. Here's an important lesson that Israel brings to us here is that we don't really know what we're asking for. In fact, we don't even really know what we want yet. Right? Is anybody throwing the same temper tantrums about stuff that you did when you were three years old? Right? The the toy you weren't allowed to play with then. It's like, it's still, my brother won't share with me, mom. You know, just bringing the same thing. It's like the Barbie doll, whatever it was, the Legos. Uh, You know, at some point, your interests mature a little bit. They move on. They move on into other places. And the the stuff that animates you changes. But three-year-old you Felt like that was everything, right? Life has shut down and I'm throwing my body on the floor because you are not giving me what I want. But what you want changes. And sometimes the things that we want, when they arrive, they don't bring what we wanted them to bring, they don't deliver us to the place that we had hoped. You, you could be really depressed or resentful right now because you're not getting something. You don't have the relationship, the opportunity, the, the, whatever the, the category is for you that other people seem to have, and you can be angry at your parents or resentful toward God because you lack what they seem to have. Can I tell you, whatever that is, if it ever arrives in your life, it's not gonna be able to bear the weight and the pressure that you're putting on it right now. Relationships can't handle that. Friendships can't handle that. Marriage can't handle that. They they don't deliver the satisfaction that we think that they hold. Nothing in this world does, even the good gifts and blessings that God provides. There's a song by Luke Combe called Be Careful What You Wish For, and as, as much as I hate country music, it does uh, capture human experience pretty well. And uh, in this song, in the, in the first verse, he tells about how he always wanted to escape his, uh, his small town that he lived in. He just wanted to get away, be free. And the second verse talks about uh, th- this girl that he was dating and she wanted a certain commitment and he wasn't ready for that. It-, it was constricting for the life that he wanted to live. And here's what the chorus says. It says, Don't know what you got till it's gone and you're out on your own. All you want is what you can't get back. Once you let it go... Then you know what you have, don't hold a candle to what you had. Sometimes what you think you'll find, it ain't quite what real life has in store. So be careful what you wish for. It might not bring the thing that you hope. And that and, and that's the speech that Samuel brings to Israel here. He says, Guys, you, you are asking for something, you have no idea what you're asking for you want a king, really? Here's what a king will do. Right, look, look at this in, uh, in verse 10. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take. And I won't read everything there, but four times that verb is used. He will take, he will take, he will take. He will take. He will take your sons. He will take your daughters. He will take your field. He will take your crops. He will take over your life. And, 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 and increased responsibility, even in good categories, they, they take things from you, Right? The more commitment my life has experienced, the more my life has filled up with family and and responsibilities and and things that I always wanted to have, the more of me has been shrinking, right? The leftover spaces, they, they go away, even in good ways. And again, it was God's intention for them to have a king, but a king of his choosing, the king who would be after the heart of God. And he wants them to see... What you are so eager to lay a hold of is going to control you. It will take things from you. What we serve, the thing that we want to rescue us, will rule over us. Either God will be the king of your heart or something else will Either you will live to please him or you will be moving on from one thing to the next, trying to find what you need to add to your life in order to be okay and to keep up appearances in this world. And along the way, it will steal from you. It will steal joy. It will steal peace from you. It will steal away friendships and relationships that will become casualties because they didn't bring you what you wanted either, right? And when we find God to be expendable, we find the people around us to be expendable as well. And welcome to what's taking place in our world today. But this is the voice of wisdom that Samuel brings, and yet it is unheeded. Verse 21 says, and when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Right? The, the, the name Samuel, it's, it's based in that same verb in, in Hebrew, which means to hear or to listen or to obey, right? Shema, and, and, and he responds, you know, when, when God calls him, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I'm ready to hear. I'm ready to respond. And here God tells them to listen and to obey the voice of the people and what they ask for. By the way, the name Saul means what's asked for. This is just all over these, these stories. It's really neat. But Samuel will obey them. And sometimes God I don't want to say it this way, but I'm going to say it this way. Sometimes God gives into your demands. Sometimes God gives us the thing that you feel so much that you need that's apart from him and he delivers you over to it so that you can recognize this was not worth the trade. And sometimes God doesn't give you the thing that you want and it's his mercy. And you see that in this passage right here. It would have been mercy from God to say, nope, I'm not gonna let you grasp at something that's gonna take and take and take and take away from you. And so some of you, you might be in a place of confusion. You might be in a place of just feeling low. And, and a lot of what's driving that for you is comparison between the definitions and the appearances of your life and what you can see, at least based on the snapshots of the lives of other people. Which, first of all, don't don't do that to yourself and don't do that to them. Because brief moments of interaction and and stuff that scrolls across your screen doesn't really give you the insight into what life is like for them. But when we do that, we can come to be a place of feeling like I just don't realize why God has cared so little for me. When he in that very reality is being kind to you. That's why we need the Bible to see that, to interpret life for us. We would never arrive at that on our own. We would form conclusions based on how things seem and not on the loving care of our true king, right, And that's our final point to see here, is that there is a king unlike all the others. Israel wanted a king like all the other nations. God had already said back in Deuteronomy 17, you will have a king, and he is not to be like all the other nations. He's not to be this militaristic Leader. He's not to be somebody who's going to come and and be really rich and wealthy and build up storehouses for himself and and lead you in places that cause you to stumble as a people. That's not the kind of leader that I've intended to give you. I'm going to raise up a shepherd for my people. And in 1 Samuel, God is going to raise up a man after his own heart. Looking past the outward appearances, but ultimately, the king that we need who has come, who is unlike anything in this world, the one who reintroduces us to the fact that authority is good, that authority and meekness and mercy don't have to be opposites, they are how God has planned for it to exist is Jesus Christ. And yet God comes incarnate into this world and and the cycle repeats. That's what he's saying in 1 Samuel 8. This is them doing what they always do. Rejecting me and settling from what they have concluded they really need. That's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 14, he told a parable of a ruler who had come to a people who responded, We do not want this man to rule over us. Samuel, it's not you they rejected. They have rejected me as their king. We don't want this man. I question for you do you want him? Do you want Jesus Christ to rule over you? Do you trust him? right? Even with the limitations that might come to you because of that, even the ways that might put you out of step with this world and not allow you to keep up appearances with the culture around you, are you content with him being in charge, even if he takes your life in places that were different from your dreams and how you always thought it would be? Do you want him to be king over your heart? Which, by the way, that's what Christianity is. Christianity is not a set of rules. Christianity is not just relating with a book. It's not just growing up in a setting. It is a relationship with Jesus as Lord and as Savior over life. It is a giving of your heart to him to say, you have authority over it. What you say goes despite what I want. Despite with what right now, based on my, uh, what, 15-year-old understanding of how life should work, I think would really be best. That doesn't work when you're three. It doesn't work when you're 13. It doesn't work when you're 33 or 83. Our wise and loving ruler has intentions for us for good who knows what we need and who came to be rejected and despised in our place so that we could receive him and receive his righteous rule. If right, the band would come back up, I know that this again is a, it's a different environment than what we're used to for a youth meeting. But I hope that doesn't mean that you're any less available to what the Holy Spirit wants to do, what, how he wants to speak to you, what he wants to show you and reveal and heal in you. Let's stand up together. God, we are in such noisy times and such broken times. And there are many different reasons as to why that is, many different ways how we should think and feel about it. But the voice we wanna be most in tune with is yours. Lord, you have access to our hearts. You know us. You expose us because you know us better than we know ourselves. And you love us. So help us to see. Do we want your rule? And do we want it even in what you will not yet give us? And what you will say no to or in what you will say yes to that maybe we right now don't have courage for or struggle with. Lord, you are the one who needs to personalize this for us. So help us to see. Help us to see not just Israel. Help us to see not just somebody demanding to, see, to talk to the manager. Help us to see ourselves. And help us to see Jesus, most of them. We come to you in worship.